Welcome to the Manufacturing Executive Podcast, where we explore the strategies and experiences that are driving mid-sized manufacturers forward. Here, you'll discover new insights from passionate manufacturing leaders who have compelling stories to share about their successes and struggles. And you'll learn from B2B sales and marketing experts about how to apply actionable business development strategies inside your business. Let's get into the show. Welcome to another episode of the Manufacturing Executive Podcast. I'm Joe Sullivan, your host and a co-founder of the industrial marketing agency, Gorilla76, where we help B2B manufacturers grow through revenue-focused marketing programs. When ChatGPT took the world by storm in 2022, terminology like generative AI became part of our regular vocabulary overnight. Just a little bit more than a year later, it's hard to open your favorite news source without seeing headlines about generative AI, machine learning, deep learning, and so on. What does all this terminology really mean? And for the manufacturing leaders listening right now, how does it all apply inside of your businesses? My guest today is here to help you make sense of it all. Let me introduce him. Alex Sandoval is CEO and co-founder of Ali Systems, a SaaS platform that transforms manufacturing operations. He is a tech enthusiast with a profound conviction to help shape how things are produced. Alex brings over 15 years of experience in the tech industry to Ali Systems. He's held leadership positions at Rappi and Oracle and also Google. Alex is an expert in building and scaling B2B SaaS products. Alex, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Joe. It's a pleasure. Yeah, likewise. Great to have you here. And Alex, would love to have you kick things off by just telling us a little bit more about your career path that's led you into your current role as CEO and co-founder of Valley Systems. Well, first off, let me start very, very early when I was five years old, because I actually come from a background of, of manufacturing from a family perspective. My family used to own manufacturing facilities, producing conveyor belts for other facilities. So I've been kind of in and out of the factory since I'm five years old, helping out my dad with everything in the factory. And then actually my first experience out of college was building predictive models for failure detection in thermoelectric power plants. So that was kind of my first incursion into in mixing industrial problems and technology. And then I spent 10 years building SaaS products. So for many companies, I helped build products for a company called Grab in Southeast Asia, for Oracle products in the US, and then also for Rappi, which is a super app and delivery platform in Latin America. And just having spent a lot of time in manufacturing facilities, I realized there was a massive area of opportunity with inefficiencies inside processes. And having been a part of amazing product teams that are building incredible technology in other areas, I saw that there were a lot of parallels to things that I could apply to make manufacturing more efficient, more sustainable. And that's really kind of where the conviction came of, of building Alley. Tell us just a little bit more about Ali, just to give a little context to the conversation. And we're going to get into AI and generative AI specifically, but where does Ali fit into that whole conversation? Let's start with the problem, right? I think uh, when you talk about inefficiency in manufacturing, it's, it's a massive, massive problem. Almost 20% of every dollar in a manufacturing operation gets wasted by inefficiency. You can call it downtime. You can call it a quality problem. You can call it product wastage. And it's an industry that has taken a bit of time to really embrace technology and seeing how technology can fulfill and solve a lot of opportunities and problems that are in this space. We have both a hardware and a software component at Ali. 
So our, in a nutshell, we are artificial intelligence for manufacturing operations. We have a device that we call it the alley gateway that we connect inside your plant and we connect everything. We connect PLCs, we connect sensors, we connect systems so that we can extract every single data point that's generated from a manufacturing operation. And then very simply, we have two products. One product that, what, that does predictions that helps you predict downtime, help you predict component failure, help you predict an irregular variable in a process. And we have another product that we call it the Ali Assistant that's like a chatbot. So you can, you have an agent that you can, it's like talking to your factory. You know, what, what was your efficiency today? Can you run an analysis so that you compare efficiency between shifts and really help you make decisions that would typically take weeks of time. So multiple teams doing analysis on problems. And now you in seconds, you can have an assistant that can graph everything for you so that you can go in and find the root cause of the issues that are impacting your operation and you can make the right decisions accordingly. Great background there. I think it's so interesting to hear people like you who are in the space talk about how to connect all the different sort of disjointed components, be able to pull information from them and and make it useful. Well, I, we're going to get into AI, I think, a little more deeply here today. And I think one thing that's common to all of us at this point is that we hear stories about AI everywhere, whether it's inside of manufacturing or just in the places we gather our news and our personal lives. And then I think the emergence of ChatGPT in 2022 just sort of put everything on stage. The term generative AI became commonplace all of a sudden. And, and I think a lot of people don't necessarily even know what that means? What is generative AI? And I'd love for you to maybe talk a little bit about that and maybe just offer some insight into how you see it from your perspective. Totally. I think let's start with the basics of what is AI because it's such a nebulous term. And some people think AI is chat GPT. Some people think AI is like a machine learning model. And it's great to get to kind of the foundational elements of it, right? But AI is like an overall field that encompasses a lot of different sorts of fields, right? The main two being machine learning and something called deep learning, right? Let's start with machine learning. So machine learning is basically the ability that you can use mathematical model to be able to predict a number or a probability, right? Mostly using a database, right? Or a series of transactions. So let's say if I am a customer and I have history of making these types of purchases, then I can predict through machine learning at what price point I would pay for a certain t-shirt, right? So you have a set of data around Alex, my background, my age, where I live, my transaction history, and a company like Amazon can say, okay, Alex will probably purchase this t-shirt for $29, right? And that is really what traditional machine learning is, a prediction that can be a number or it can be a probability from zero to one, right? Then you have deep learning. And this is super interesting because it's kind of the basis of how the human brain works. It's very similar to traditional machine learning that where you're making a prediction, but you are kind of combining a set of models almost to seem like a network, like the neural networks that we use in our brain. And the interesting part about deep learning is that you don't just use numbers, right? You can also use images, a series of text or sound. We can call that unstructured data. So that's 
that's when you can throw in an image, you can throw in a voice message. And now that is all kind of deep learning. And, and that deep learning model is a model that also has some capabilities that it can actually teach itself, right? To be able to predict an outcome better. Then you have kind of subsectors, right? Within AI, you have something called computer vision. Computer vision has actually been used in the manufacturing space quite extensively because it predicts the probability that an image or a video is a label, right? So like you're able to see a picture and a model can say, oh, I'm detecting this and that. I'm detecting a human being like Tesla. That's what it uses to have its self-driving capability. So the model can detect that's a human being. This is an animal. This is a traffic light. And you can use that in manufacturing, for example, to be able to detect defects or any quality issues in, in, in products, right? And then enter, you know, what we're calling generative AI. And generative AI is, is very interesting. And, and it's really kind of the basis of chat GPT that essentially took a predictive model and was trained with everything on the internet. And that can be text, that can be video, that can be images, and then also labeled all of this data. And then what that does is through this model, you can actually predict your next word or predict an image or predict a video based on what I've trained this model on, on historical data. So that's really generative AI. When I can use historical data and I can predict and generate either text, an image, or a video, right? And that's kind of, I think, the most important concepts of artificial intelligence so that we can kind of set the foundation of our chat here. <laughs> I think that's great. I love the background. Didn't even realize you were going to go in depth on some of that, but I think that's always a really nice foundation for the conversation. So what I'd love to do now is I think a lot of people listening have probably jumped onto ChatGPT or Claude or like any of these tools that are accessible to anybody at this point digitally, just to kind of mess around a little bit, if not using them for real applications in their job. But I'm curious how like some of the concepts you're talking about right now, particularly interested in generative AI, but like how are these applications starting to emerge in manufacturing specifically? So I think there's two very concrete applications that I can talk about at length. And this is something that, that we do at our company, but there's a lot of companies out there that are doing this now. So let's talk about ML, which is the one that you know has been around for a, a little longer. So you can use ML to basically predict the failure rate of a machine, right? So if you have a component, like a motor component in a rotary machine, and you can monitor the temperature and the vibration of that engine. And through an anomaly detection model that basically detects when its temperature is really high or really, really low, you can raise an alert and say, hey, this engine is about to have a problem in this component. And the model, what it does is predict failure before you have a downtime issue in the facility. So if you have a compressor and the model basically detects when there's a problem, a maintenance team can go and tackle that problem effectively before it causes a bigger issue in the facility, right? So that's one. The second one, also a machine learning application, has to do with process optimization. And this is really interesting for process manufacturers, right? In, in the food industry, beverage industry, construction materials, where you have raw material that goes through a lot of transformation. So let's talk about, for example, the steel industry, right? Like the steel industry uses scrap. And from that scrap, it goes through a bunch of processes and ends up as a steel rod, for example, for a specific use case in a vertical. But there's a lot of 
variables, essentially, where you have to monitor when seal is transformed, right? So for the, let's say like scrap is heated in an oven at a certain temperature. And if you don't have the right temperature, then some of the debris of the steel won't really uh, kind of be separated so that you can make a rod that meets quality and is compliant, right? So you can use a machine learning model that will basically tell you when there's a process variable that is out of range. So like, hey, this mixture is not at the right density or this oven is not at the right temperature. And then all of that helps you predict what the operators need to do to make sure that you're always maintaining the right process variables in all of the steps in a manufacturing process. And then generative AI, which I think is the newest kind of application that's really hit manufacturing that we're investing a lot in this is really the opportunity that I think you can use this in two ways. We're, we're, I'll tell you how we're using it now at Ali. You, It's a chatbot where you can talk to the factory and that is connected directly to the data that the machines are expelling, right? So you can tell the factory, hey, you can talk to a machine and you can say, hey, can you graph the temperature of your engine in the last 90 days? And it will graph it for you in two seconds. Can you please compare the efficiency of the morning shift and the afternoon shift? Because I want to see who's doing better and do that in the last 60 days. Oh, perfect. Can you please do a correlation between the temperature of the oven and product wastage? And you want to see what's the range of temperature that you need to operate in for that oven so that you don't have a product issue. So you can also find kind of correlations between the data sets. So that's how we're using it now. And, and it's a really interesting application because you don't have to call your manager and call the maintenance and call the quality engineer so that they can give you a report on their work. You can now talk directly, go to the source, which is the actual machines. There's no human error there. You can get exact information you need to be able to increase efficiency in your facility. But I think another really application is at the design kind of phase. We don't do that, but there's, I know Siemens, for example, is kind of investing in that where you're able to kind of use generative AI to test out what certain elements would do to the facility, or you're able to kind of run man the design of a facility through generative AI. And I think that's an also very interesting application. Okay, let's take a quick break here. I'm really excited to announce an incredible event our team at Gorilla76 will be co-hosting in late January and early February of 2024 in Austin, Texas, just for marketers in the manufacturing sector. I'm going to hand it to our strategist, Peyton Warren, to give you the details. Hi, I'm Peyton Warren, strategist at Gorilla76. Over the past few years, our team has been running twice per month digital learning events for industrial marketers called Industrial Marketing Live. It's been a huge success, and we're seeing 50 to 100 manufacturing marketing folks show up regularly. But one thing this group has told us is that they've been itching for a live, in-person event just for them. Well, we're super excited to be teaming up with True Marketing and Kadena's Part Solutions to deliver exactly that. January 31st through February 2nd of 2024, we'll be co-hosting the Industrial Marketing Summit in Austin, Texas. We have an incredible lineup of speakers for day one who will be covering topics that include SEO in the dawning era of AI, high-impact product marketing, elevating the role of marketing within your manufacturing organization, and giving out a demand generation playbook for B2B manufacturers. And that just skims the surface. On day two, 
we'll be conducting in-depth breakout sessions to go deeper on some of these key topics and help you apply them inside your own organizations. Not only will this be an intensive learning event with some of the sharpest minds in the industrial marketing space, but we'll be hosting social events in the evenings with great food and venues for networking with other manufacturing folks who are trying to solve the same kinds of marketing challenges you are. We're limited to 300 seats, so visit industrialmarketingsummit.com to learn more and reserve your ticket. We'd love to see you in Austin. It's so interesting to hear you talk about this. So much of this technology is kind of in its infancy, right? And probably more of this has existed behind the scenes than people realize maybe until uh, you know the, the chat GPT storm arrived about a year ago or, or whenever it was. But I'm just kind of curious, you, you think about how advanced and what amazing things can happen already with generative AI. Like, How do you see all of this evolving and, and changing you know, o- over the next few years? Like, How, how far is it going to go? How much better will the technology be a few years from now? I'm personally very, very excited about what's happening with AI. Like there's a relevant model that is coming out every single week in the space. And there's a lot of, I think a lot of groups are really betting on open source, which is great for the ecosystem because it means, you know, even Facebook, for example, just gave away some of the LLL models so people can play with it. And that would have taken hundreds of millions of dollars for a company to build and train, right? And now these companies are putting their models out there so you can use. And there's also obviously paid models like OpenAI where you can license it and use it for your application. So so I think the pace of change is, is moving very quickly, but I'm going to go into manufacturing because I think what can happen is very, very exciting. So I think eventually what would be super interesting is if a generative AI model can ingest data from your machines and your processes and then can talk back to the machines. So that potentially that can happen today because you can send a signal to a PLC that controls a machine, right? And imagine if, you know, if you're a manager and you could say, hey, I want this machine, I, whenever a process variable, for example, or a temperature is detected that's out of range in a facility, the machine learning model will automatically stop the machine. So like it will prevent it from having any major issue. Or you can say, hey, I want you to go talk to the supply chain department and figure out what's the best and optimal amount of raw material I need for every step in the process so I can optimize my production. Or, hey, AI or whatever chat I'm using, I want you to tell me how much I should produce this month because of the information that my CRM and my sales departments have so I can optimize how much I need to produce exactly to what the market is asking me. And then I can go tell my machines to do that. I can activate that that process. And I can have a plan built right in place. Okay, how many production orders did I need to fulfill the demand that I'm going to have the next month? And all of that, I'm going to be able to do in an interface where I can chat and it can understand human language and it can connect to machines. So that, that that's really where I think we're going in terms of what can happen. And I think that can happen very quickly. Like I don't think that's a far-fetched thought that's going to be in 10 years. I think that can happen within the next five years. Yeah, I'm really curious to see what these conversations I'm having are going to look like a year or two years from now, because I imagine it's going to just be snowballing. It'd be fun to watch it play out. So Alex, the manufacturing sector is obviously filled with engineers who love questioning everything and a lot of traditional, fairly risk-averse leaders as well. What kind of resistance do you see around AI technology and how do you answer to that? That's actually, I think, one of the biggest challenges that the manufacturing sector faces, which is really 
adoption to technology and openness to new and innovative ways of doing things. In every technology curve, you have early adopters and then you have the laggards at the end of the curve, which is the people that are resistant to doing something new because nobody really got fired for doing exactly what, they, what they're doing, right? And, and people really have, have fear of, oh, what if I try something new and this fails? And people get nervous, right, around their job security and especially manufacturing, right, is everything, everything is very planned and everything is super structured and organized and kind of rocking the boat is, is not something that's normal in this type of environment. So we see that at management level, we see that at supervisor level, and we see that at the operator level. This is not a general blanket statement. I think this is something we see a lot. But there's also a lot of people that are obviously curious and really like to try things. So I want to start by saying we need to kind of, I think that there's a big, big, one of the first kind of, I think, arguments that people say is AI is going to take my job, right? AI is going to come and do the job I'm doing now where I'm operating or supervising a variable in the machine. And I think there's definitely going to be not so much job re replacement, but job displacement. Like I think there's going to be people in the factory that are going to have to learn new skills. So for example, how do you talk to a generative AI at the factory? That's a job that today does not exist. That's a job that's going to be created. But definitely a quality engineer that is looking physically at products, right? And detecting quality issues. That's something that a model is going to be able to do much better than a human being and something a human being does not need to do. So, so I think it's, we need to start by kind of embracing the fact that there's going to be new skills that organizations need to be able to train up their employees so that they move from doing kind of these very manual repetitive tasks into things that are more strategic and that use more soft skills and can really harness how you can interact with AI to, to be more productive at your job. And then I think the second kind of argument that we get is a lot of times Engineers are not really used to, I, I, not really engineers. I, I would say like the people in the facility itself are not using, are not used to using like interfaces. We work a lot in, in Mexico and, and I think, you know, it's a little different in the US, but not radically different. These are people that are not, they're not white collar jobs that are used to using MacBook every day and going into software and, and configuring things. They're used to being in the facility. So bringing kind of an external interface so that they can now interact with this while they're doing their job is, is kind of a, a foreign concept to them. And it's something that really needs to happen, right? Like we need to bring in an interface where a supervisor and operator can learn to interact with something new that is not just a machine so that they can control machines better and make better decisions. And, and, and that's kind of the, the second thing that we've detected. How we've solved it, look, end of the day, I think AI in general is going to bring huge, huge productivity gains for the overall economy and for businesses, right? Like businesses are going to be way more productive. They're going to do a lot more than they currently do with the same resources. And it's going to impact the economy enormously. How do you translate those gains back into the, the people that are doing those jobs. So one of the things that we've kind of negotiated with a lot of the clients that we work with is, hey, if your plant is 15% or 20% more productive, and that equates to $100 million or $200 million that you are receiving in return for being more efficient, why doesn't a portion of that 
go into the supervisor and the operator that's actually helping and training this AI model. So that's kind of really how we've solved it. It's really aligning incentives at all levels. The company makes more money, operator makes more money, supervisor makes more money, and everybody's aligned on one thing. Let's be more efficient. Let's be more productive. And now we're all in the same boat. And that really, like once incentives are aligned, everything else becomes secondary and people are a lot more open to to using things. Smart. I love the sort of outcome based incentive there. Makes a lot of sense. Well, Alex, you've covered a lot today here. I imagine people listening are excited, maybe some overwhelmed a little bit, maybe some unsure. How do I get started? What advice can you offer on that front to make this a little less intimidating and more getting people excited about getting things in motion? I would say everything I've shared, I think for people that are not really embedded in, in living and breathing technology every single day, it can, it can be a little scary. It can seem a little foreign and you're like, oh my God, this is great. Yes, I want to be more efficient, but where do I get started, right? So I think the first thing that every company needs is it needs a transformation squad. Like every single successful company that we work with has a group of five you know, I, I always say that like the most productive groups are groups that can share a pizza. So like, don't doesn't have to be a huge team. It can be a team of five to eight people or a leader if you're more on the mid-size organization that is really spearheading your technology and transformational change in the operation. So that group is kind of focused on, okay, I'm analyzing what are the problems that my operations have and what are the technology partners I need to bring in to make this operation the most successful and productive it can be. So that's that's really a very key thing is the the humans and, and the talent that is leading change in your organization. You need to have it. We've tried with organizations that don't have this team set up and we, we fail. Like it just does not mix well. So that needs to happen. Second thing that you need is you need data, right? So in order for any model to work, like I've said, in order to a model to be able to predict things effectively, you need to have historical data on your operation, right? So it's really important, number one, that you have an automations and control team that is really making that data available in a database. So how do I make sure that the PLCs in my machines are open? Open means that you can extract data from it. And then how do I create a database that can either sit in a server in my factory or that can I can use a cloud provider as well? So I can have an aggregated layer of all of the variables that a factory needs to measure, right? And that can be efficiency variable, like when the machine is on, when it's off, the speed of that machine. You can have health metrics, like on the engine, like temperature. And if you don't need sensors in the beginning, like just let's work with what the machines already have, right? So it's extracting data from the PLC, building that into a database, and then putting that in a server or in the cloud. With that, you know, you can't really start. Like that, that is the first step. And there's a lot of companies that are, they're called automation and control providers that specifically provide the service. So you can contract them and they can get you uh, installed and you can get, you know, a layer of, of data extracted from your machines. And then the third thing uh, I would say is, is once you have a team that is doing the spearheading change, you have a data layer from all your machines. It's important that you do an analysis of what are the problems you want to solve. Like what's your biggest pain? My biggest pain can be quality issues. My biggest pain can be inefficiency issues because of a downtime. What's my machine's bottleneck? So I can do a little bit of an analysis of what hurts me the most 
And then step number three is really finding a technology partner. I would say that there are a few adventurous manufacturing companies that built their own solutions. I think a company like a Tesla, who has a very strong technology backbone and a founder who is very much a tech founder, can definitely do it because the culture is there. They're a hybrid of technology and manufacturing. But a lot of other companies that don't come from that background, that their leadership team does not come from that background, I would say it's going to take a really, really, really long time to build this yourself. And there are existing platforms that you can come, connect with, plug it in, start to do experimentation. And then if you want to build it in parallel, that's fine. But finding the right partner, I would say is step number three. So kind of people, data, and then the right partners for you to, to get started. Great advice, Alex. I appreciate making it uh, making it sort of more actionable for people and, and a little less intimidating. So all, all good stuff there. Thank you. Well, Alex, great conversation today. I really appreciate you doing this. Can you tell our audience how they can get in touch with you and learn more about what you're doing at Alley Systems? Totally. So our website is very simple. It's allysystems.com. There's a contact form there if you want to get in touch. People... Please, you can also find me on LinkedIn. Alex Sandoval is my full name and reach out if you want to DM. I'm happy always to... I love talking to manufacturing leaders that are going through some of these problems. And really, it helps me understand what are their bigger pain points? What are their perceptions around AI and technology? How are they doing things differently? So whether it's for a commercial conversation or just an informal discussion, I'm always happy to, to give my two cents. So... Thank you again, Joe, for the invitation as well. Yeah, it's been a great conversation and happy to be back anytime. Fantastic. Well, Alex, thanks again. Thank you. And as for the rest of you, I hope to catch you on the next episode of The Manufacturing Executive. You've been listening to The Manufacturing Executive Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you'd like to learn more about industrial marketing and sales strategy, you'll find an ever-expanding collection of articles, videos, guides, and tools specifically for B2B manufacturers at gorilla76.com learn. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time. <laughs>